The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return, sponsored by Narconon Ojai. Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. My name is Joni Siegel. I'm the host for this podcast. My husband, Steve Siegel, is the producer for the podcast. This is episode number 176. This week, we have an interview with a husband and wife team. This is Randy and Lydia Grimes. Now, Randy has been on our podcast before, before we were doing videos. So we thought we would have him back. And he asked his beautiful wife, Lydia, to join him because she's a definite part of his whole recovery story. A Hall of Fame football player with Baylor University and an NFL center whose successful career spanned 10 years with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Randy Grimes used prescription pills to treat his career-related injuries. Those pills fed an addiction that would last 20-plus years. Randy now dedicates his life to helping others through pro-athletes in recovery. He worked in the treatment industry for nine years and is a regular keynote speaker at conferences and events, as well as being involved in interventions, training other professional athletes as pro-air mentors, and managing the day-to-day operations at pro-air. Lydia is the love of Randy's life. They married while still in college, and she became Randy's greatest cheerleader, supporter, and life partner. When Randy retired from the NFL, his addiction became worse. All of the injuries he had sustained throughout his career had created the perfect scenario for a catastrophic outcome. After Randy accepted the help he so desperately needed, Lydia participated in her own personal recovery process. As an elementary teacher for 20 years, it is a natural fit for her to work with families and provide them with the education and support they need. She currently leads the Family Support Program at Pro Athletes in Recovery. Randy, Lydia, and their team members have helped hundreds of family members better understand addiction and begin their own recovery journey through self-care and loving detachment practices that can restore peace, joy, and faith regardless of the outcome of their loved one's addiction. Let's talk to Randy and Lydia Grimes. Randy and Lydia Grimes, thank you so much for joining us today. I can't wait to hear your story, and I'm also excited about what you're doing now, but that'll be later. Well, thank you for having us. We're, we're honored to be here, and this means so much to us. You, know, it's, uh, you guys have been so good to help us get our message out there to, to, to others that are sick and suffering and have lost hope. Yep. Exactly, and we're we're proud to do it. So, Randy, how did you get started on drugs? I know that the the bigger story is from when you were a professional athlete. But did you do drugs like as a teenager or in high school or college? No, I mean, I drugs. No, up until the time you know that all this started. Uh, you know, I, I, I would have my alcohol benders like anybody else going through high school or college and things like that, but nothing on a consistent basis. And Joni, I had no history of it really in my family. I had a distant uncle who was an alcoholic, uh, somebody that I'd never spent any time with or, or anything. And so that that's the only link to any genetic predisposition that I was to have to uh, being an addict. 
But, uh, you know, I never saw my, my parents even drink alcohol. Never saw, never saw a, a, drop, a drop of alcohol in our house. And brothers and sisters, never any problem whatsoever. So it, it's not like that, you know, I had this genetic curse that I was going to have to overcome. It was more like uh, it, was, it was strictly environmental for me. Right. So then tell me how your, your, your drug use started. Well, I mean, I, and I was that guy, you know, I was drafted by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the second round. I was the 45th player selected in the 1983 draft. And, uh, you know, I was just so excited to, to be coming to Tampa. You know, I'm an East Texas boy who played at Baylor University. So, uh, the opportunity to come to a seaside community of Tampa, Florida was huge for us. And, uh, you know, I'd, I'd never spent a lot of time at the ocean or had I ever even been there. But, you know, one thing that I was always good at was, you know, keeping my mouth shut and listening. And when I got in that locker room at Tampa Bay at one buck place, you know, that's what I did. I kept my mouth shut and I listened. I listened to the older guys. I wanted to know how they were able to year after year after year play a kid's game and feed their families. You know, how I, it still blew my mind that somebody was going to pay me to play a game that I love so much and, and would have gladly played for free. So, uh, you know, one of the things that I learned to do by listening was do whatever I had to do to stay out on the field. And what that looked like for me was taking handfuls of pain pills every day to not only get through practice, but to get through games and to sleep at night and, you know, through the throbbing injuries and so forth. And, you know, I, I looked at it like a, like a necessary evil, you know, I mean, I'm getting it from the team trainer, so it must be okay. Or, you know, I'm getting it from my teammates. So it must be just the culture of the NFL. You know, I've got fans outside who will get me anything that I want. All I have to do is ask. So, you know, that, that those are the ways that I justified what I was calling necessary evil to stay out on the field, not let anybody else get in my position, not mispractice, not be the guy who's always on the injury report, uh, not be the guy who's always waiting in line to see a, a doctor or a trainer back there because that's a reputation you never get away from the rest of your NFL career. So I was determined to not be that guy. So I would just self-medicate and I would play myself right through those injuries, through that pain and everything else. And um, that's how it started. Wow. Lydia, were you around when this was going on, the first part of his NFL career? Were you guys together then? Yeah, we met the first day at Baylor, and we were okay. married before our senior year. So we went off to Tampa, you know, still, you know, been married a year, I was uh, expecting, so ready to start a little family. Um, what I saw was just that he was so tired. He was tired from the practices and the Tampa heat, and, you know, he hit it well. Um, so basically, I just saw that he was tired at night. You know, he was sleeping, but he woke up the next day ready to go. He was taking um, calcium. It's kind of like a big-time dance, mm -hmm. I guess. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so that was basically something to sleep. That's what I saw it as. 
Okay. Um, I really didn't see the pain pills, but um, then it progressed, of course. <laughs> right. Right. And when you have that many enablers, you know, it, it, it's hard to, it, you know, she would just see me come home, beat up, bruised up, sweating, uh, cut up, everything that you are after a practice or spending three or four hours out in Tampa heat. She, I would come home and just crash on the couch or in bed. And that's, that's what she saw. And, you know, it's, it, it made sense because of all that I'd been through that day. And, um, you know, when you've got an open drug safe in the locker room, when you can go and just get whatever you want out uh, on a daily basis, or when you've got trainers who are dispensing, off-label dispensing to you as you walk out the door, um, then, yeah, I mean, they're, they're, you're, you're not going to see any signs because the, the necessary evil is just you know, living on and on every day. I mean, Joni, after our home games, I mean, they would stand at the door and hand us an envelope of pills and, and two beers as you were leaving uh, after a home game to go get in your car, to go meet with your wives who are outside waiting on everybody to come out of the locker room. I mean, what other profession does that, you know, that hands you two, two halcyon and uh, anything else that you need and two beers and off you go to get in your car and drive home. And, you know, I just, back then, I didn't think anything of it. You know, it was, all right, thanks. Thanks for helping me get through the night. I'll see you guys tomorrow and uh, we'll do the whole thing over again. Wow. Did it affect your ability to play, Randy, do you think? Um. You know, that's the crazy thing about it is the, the last two years of my career, I played 10 years and I had a great career in the league. Yeah. But the last two years, you know, I, I would be home at night after a home game. And, uh, you know, a game that I had played started at one o'clock. And, you know, maybe I got out of the locker room and, and back home by six or seven. And I would finally start coming around around 10, 11, 12 at night. I'd start waking up on my couch at home and realize I had played an entire NFL football game, uh, you know, 60, 70, 80 offensive plays at center. And uh, I didn't remember any of it. You know, mm -hmm. I would be all beat up and cut up and bruised up and dehydrated and all the things that you are after a game in Tampa, Florida. And I didn't remember any of it. And, you know, Joni, I would go in the next morning and watch it on film with everybody else. And I always played great. I was playing those games in complete blackouts. I was taking so much medication before the game just to get through the game. And I always played great. And it just, you know, that old enabling thing just kept going another, another game, another week, another day. And um, so, you know, I never had any repercussions of that on the field. Okay. Do you, and then what happened from there? So you're, you're coming home. Lydia can see that you're tired, but you're doing painkillers every game. And those last two years, you don't remember well, every a whole lot. Day of the week. You know? Yeah. So what happened after that? Well, I mean, obviously it couldn't go on forever, could it? And, okay. uh, you know, when I had those enablers while I played, everything was fine. 
time. You know, it was a, it was a justified, necessary evil. But when I left the game, you know, when I didn't have those trainers anymore, when I didn't have those teammates anymore, when I didn't, didn't have those team doctors anymore or those fans outside, you know, we, we, I retired back to Houston when I left the box. And, you know, that's when all the chaos started. That's when the doctor shop and, and multiple doctors, multiple pharmacies, you know, buying them on the, buying my pills on the street because, you know, when I left the game, the injuries left with me. Right. And, uh, you know, the pain, the chronic pain just kept getting worse. The injuries just kept getting worse. My, my uh, uh, tolerance just kept getting higher and I needed more and more pills. So I needed more and more doctors. And, uh, you know, that was a full-time job in Houston, Texas, was driving around doctor shopping all over town and and blowing through our money, blowing through jobs, blowing through relationships. Um, I just couldn't stop the chaos. Right. Lydia, were you more aware of what was going on at that point when he retired? It started, you know, making more sense because you do see the money missing. You know, we had a little bit when we left but we went through it pretty quick. And uh, then it was time for us to be in the real world and him to work and I started teaching and it was it was very evident, you know, when money's missing and you can't figure out what's going on that it was his addiction, you know. Right. Um, and it did start to spiral. You know, it took a while. You know, he could, he had it under control for a while, more, you know, still at night, but then it did play out to where it was all the time. And right. our kids, you know, our kids being around people, trying to hide it constantly, it, you know, that became a full-time job for me, you know, right. trying to uh, make, make out like everything was okay, <laughs> happy little family. <laughs> I right. was good. Yeah, and you knew, you could tell at that point that there was a problem. Did your, were your kids aware of what was going on, do you think? Not really. Now, there was a, a point where he kind of stepped into about six months of um, cocaine, and that became very obvious. You know, of course, that was a lot of money. And um, there were some incidences that, you know, he was pretty crazy. And so they saw it. And, you know, before with the pills, it was more sleeping. You know, it was more kind of drowsy, that kind of thing. But this was more of just like crazy stuff. And uh, there was about six months where they, you know, yeah, they saw that. And um, couldn't believe it. They were in shock with their dad be able to do something like that um, and then as the other drugs started spiraling the pain pills the xanax um oh yeah they they tried to hide it and, um then we all just quit having people over you know right. you you isolate you, you do whatever it takes to you know to hide it from everyone and Joni, even 10 years later, you know, we, we've been through this process of writing a book. 
about all this and and it's been a family project and it's been great it's been hopefully like a healing process for the whole family but even 10 years later i'm finding out stuff about how my kids would know where i was in the house and if they brought friends over they would try to go around it where where their friends couldn't see me if i was passed out in my chair or whatever or something else that I had never heard that Lydia was talking about in the book was, you know, my son had become so, what's the word, so desensitized by, you know, I had an overdose, an accidental overdose once, and, and you know, they called 911, and he would just nonchalantly walk out in the yard and flag down an ambulance and walk back in and, and continue doing whatever he was doing. It was just, you know, they had done it so many times before that. Yeah. On benzos, when you run out or you're trying to get off, which he would try to do on his own, you have seizures. Oh, and wow. so he was having all these seizures and the children would see it and, you know, scared us to death, you know, and um, it was, really hard to watch, but, and we would call 911 or we'd get into the hospital over and over and over. And after a while, it really did become like, Brady just would walk out in the street and motion the ambulance, you know. That's how long it went on, the craziness, you know. Yeah. Um, and, and like I said, I tried to hide it, but then there was him, you know, nodding off in church or, slurring at the little league field. I mean, there was things I just couldn't control anymore because he got to where it wasn't just at night, it was all the time. You know, at work, um, losing the jobs because of, you know, I was gonna sleeping. say hard, hard to hold down a job when you're yeah, nodding uh, off and out all of it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I justified even back then doing what I was doing all over Houston as, as I was present I was present for everything. I was coaching Little League. I was going to church. I was I was I was going to uh, volleyball games for my daughter. You know, I justified it because I was present. But to be honest, I was never present. You know, you were physically present, but right. not, not emotionally and spiritually present. Right, Randy. What you know? One of the things we focus on in the podcast is what was your point of no return? When did you reach, what was the moment when you finally went, if I don't get help, I'm, I'm gonna lose everything and possibly die? What, what, what was that for you? Well, and it seems like every bottom I hit had a trap door and I would always go deeper, you know, I would go further down. And, uh, you know, it seems like the perfect storm was brewing in the spring and summer of 2009. I was having multiple seizures. Uh, you know, I, I, we, we had lost another, or I had lost another home, lost another job. I'd lost my good friend, Tom McHale, who I played with in Tampa. I played right next to him for many years, and he was doing the exact same thing I was doing which was self-medicating the injuries that he got while he played for the Fox. And one morning he just didn't wake up. Mm -hmm. And uh, so there were so many things that were working in, in, in my favor to, to finally put my hand up and ask for help. And uh, Lydia, had, Lydia had reached out to the NFL, you know, 
just for anything. You know, she had thrown, she just needed a lifeline. She needed anything, any guidance, anything that she could find at that point. And uh, at that time, the NFL didn't have a program program for retired players. But whoever she talked to there at the league office, at this organization that she reached out to, knew somebody who knew somebody who knew somebody. And it just so happened that that person uh, kept my file and, you know, 30, 60, 90 days later reached out to us and said that they had a program in place where I'd be interested. And I was like, absolutely. Because Joni, I, I had squandered jobs and relationships. We didn't have any insurance. This was my only opportunity uh, to finally get help. And, um, and you know, he had been in places and used like the course. I put him in like six, seven different. And we had been to detoxes, rehabs. You know, I sought out help and we talked to lots of doctors. He would go through different programs. Sometimes he completed, sometimes he wouldn't. But he always came back, and that's when he would go back to using. He relapsed, and that's when I didn't know what to do. You know, right? Like you know how to get them help, but what do you do with them when they keep relapsing? You love them so much, you think you're doing the right thing, but I didn't. I didn't learn how to set boundaries. I didn't really learn how to um, give him those consequences that he needed. So, you know, that was my fault, you know, where I think that, you know, I can tell you what not to do. <laughs> right. Did you have your own sort of point of no return, Lydia? Um, not, I, I was just so tired, you know, I was working, you know, raising kids, um, paying our bill, paying, you know, trying to just make it, but I couldn't make the house, you know, and yeah, you know, I was sick of it, but you love somebody still, you think you can save them, you think you can cure it, you know, you, you try everything. Um, I think when we, that the last house that we lost, um, I had to move in with my parents and he wouldn't come, you know? <laughs> so um, then his family stepped in. They began to enable. They um, found him, you know, a, a hotel kind of to stay in and they were helping him with food, you know? So uh, he was hitting his bottom, but he was still okay as far as, you know, he had shelter. <laughs> But, um, yeah, I, I, the, the seizures were getting so bad, though. I think, you know, he nearly died so many times. And, and you know, we, like Lydia said, we had, had lost that last house. And, and yeah, she couldn't stay there because we had to move the furniture out. We had to move everything out. And she had to move in with her parents. And, you know, my pride and ego was not going to let me go move in with my Southern Baptist preacher father-in-law. You are listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information on the podcast or to reach out if you have a story you would like to share with us, go to our Facebook page by the same name, or you can email us at theaddictionpodcast at yahoo.com, or go to our website, theaddictionpodcast.com, or call us at 727 314 
7080. And please remember to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and give us a five-star review. For more information on our sponsor, Narconon Ojai, visit their website at narcononojai.org. That's N-A-R-C-O-N-O-N-O-J-A-I.org. Or call 1-866-231-5924. That's 1-866-231-5924. Sometimes, the hardest thing about getting someone into recovery is getting them to agree to treatment. Bobby Newman, a certified drug counselor with 30 years experience and an over 85% success rate as an interventionist, has created a series of 12 videos that you can use right now to learn every step to get your loved one to agree to treatment. Call 1-833-918-0008 today and say the word podcast to get a 10% discount. Or go to newmaninterventions.com and type in the word podcast for a 10% discount. This service comes with a free one-hour consultation with Bobby. And uh, so I was sleeping on the floor when, when when my family couldn't get me an extended stay hotel or whatever. I was sleeping on the floor of that house that we had moved out of and there was no furniture, you know? Yeah. Uh, and it's, so yeah, that, that, that's all part of that perfect storm that was going on in the spring and summer of 2009. And then, you know, I, I finally just put my hand up and said, yes, I, I'm willing to do whatever you have, to, or whatever you have available for me. And, and you know, Joni, when I was going to treatment, when I was going to these places that she had set up for me in and around Houston, you know, I was never getting away from my people, places and things and the triggers that made me get in there. And it wasn't until I got as far away from Houston as I could in West Palm Beach that, you, you know, I, I don't know why that time actually took i wish i i wish i did i wish i could bottle it and sell it but you know i was finally at my end you know there was no no more knots in the rope and um that's when i finally got it and that was september 22nd of 2009. right lydia what made you call the nfl what what prompted you to do that well, it took a lot because I didn't want them to know we had a problem, you know, and he sure didn't want anybody to know, but I guess I was at my end, you know, right. I was trying to reach out for help to anybody. I had, you know, I had tried everything. So I just thought, surely they have a program. They have something. And um, at the time they didn't yet, you know, now they do. But, right. Yeah. yeah. Randy, tell the story of arriving at that rehab because it's a pretty harrowing story. I remember you told told it before. Tell our listeners that story. Oh, oh my gosh! Yeah, well, I, that was September twenty second, two thousand and nine, and I flew from Houston to Fort Lauderdale, and then the ride up to the treatment center that I was going to was about an hour away. And I remember this old dirty, beat up uh, black town car picked me up. Uh, and I, I remember, I can still remember the smells and everything that was coming out of that back seat that I was in. And, and on the ride up there, I was so sick, you know, I just, it, it made me realize why those smells were back there. Cause people just like me 
had been picked up at that airport and driven and driven up to the treatment center. And, you know, it was just, uh, I was so beat up and broken and sick. When I got to that treatment center and they opened that door, I just fell out. I fell out of that car and I had about another 30 or 40 feet to go to get through the door. And uh, I crawled on all fours to get in that door that night. And uh, I remember it like it was yesterday. And, you know, it's, I don't remember much about that night, Joni, but I remember hearing somebody say, Randy, in order to get this thing, you've got to have the desperation of a drowning man. And uh, I knew that I was in for the fight of my life when I, when I heard that, because it had such an impact on me. And, and, you know, I consider myself a pretty tough guy. I've been in a lot of battles in the NFL, in college, in high school, my, my entire sports career has been a battle with people. And, uh, and I've been pretty successful with that. Uh, you know, I thought I was a pretty tough guy, but crawling in the door that night was the hardest thing that I did that I've ever done. And I knew that I was in for the fight of my life. But you did it. And that's but the important thing. And you've been clean and sober since then. Go almost 11 years, 10 and a half years. 10 and a half. That's so, it, it's well done. And in my viewpoint, I'm just going to say this. I know y'all did your book, and I, I definitely want to hear about that. And it, it's sometimes tough to look back on everything that occurred. But you're now in a whole new chapter of your life that we're also going to talk about. And you, you've made a change that some people don't ever make. And I, we'll talk more about that. So I just want, I just want, to, I want to validate you for getting clean and sober because it's not easy and as you say you're you're a warrior you have that warrior mentality and it almost sounds correct me if i'm wrong someone mentioned this on one of the podcasts but it almost sounds like you knew that you had to address the road to sobriety somewhat similar to the road to becoming an nfl player right that's absolutely true and you know i it's almost like everything that I learned while being a college athlete, high school athlete, professional athlete at the Bucks. It seems like all that was preparing me for, for what I do now, you know, because uh, like Lydia said, like I said, you know, there was not a program for retired guys. I thought I was the only one out there going through what I was going through, which was, you know, self-medicating. And um, as I got, sober as I went through the process, as I began working with the NFL to help other guys, just like Randy Grimes that were out there. I mean, people started calling left and right. There were so many former players, former athletes, former NFL guys that were struggling, you know, just struggling, suffering in silence, just like I was doing. And, uh, you know, they didn't put up their hand and ask for help because they didn't think there was any resources available or that pride and ego, that warrior mentality kept them from picking up that phone that weighed 800 pounds, you know, because, uh, you know, they thought they were out there struggling. And, you know, by, by help, by, by getting involved with this and sharing our story, you know, people have been calling and people have been asking for help. And, you know, and my, my message or our message is that it's, it's, it, it's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to not ask for help. And, um, you know, we've been able to help not only former NFL players, but former major league baseball players, hockey, uh, jockeys. 
I mean, pretty much guys and girls from from uh, every sport, you know, who who are going through the same thing that we went through. Yep. Well, the one thing that you had that perhaps some of these other people don't have is an absolutely wonderful woman who stuck by your side the whole way. Oh, no, you got that know. right. Oh, no, no. <laughs> no, that's absolutely true. And, and you I know, think- I do this book process. Lydia said something that I didn't, you know, the first time that I had ever heard, but she said, you know, she wanted to leave me, but God wouldn't allow her to leave me. And, uh, yeah, she gets, she deserves all the credit for hanging in there. I I have to give God the credit because Mm -hmm. with my own strength, you know, I couldn't have stayed. I couldn't have been through what we all went through as a family, but my faith in God really helped me to stay and to be, you know, strong in the Lord and uh, just to have the faith. And I feel like, you know, he even gave me the vision that he's going to restore my family. He's going to bring it and that we're going to use this someday to help others. Because I, I didn't see that he would ever allow us to go through something like this to where we couldn't use it to help others. And, you know, a message out of a mess. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> well, and, you know, it, we've talked about this actually most recently in podcasts because one of the recent interviews we did was with a pastor. And he, you know, the, the point is you need to have a belief in a higher power. Whatever you want to call that higher power, you have right. to strive for something. Something greater that, than Something greater than yourself. And that's a message I'm putting out to everybody listening. You have to strive for something greater than yourself. If you can't believe in yourself, believe in something greater and and go there. Do you know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. Um, But I just think, you know, and now it's kind of interesting. You said you get calls all the time. Now all those people who are calling, they get a a little piece of Lydia too. (laughs) (laughs) well as you just stated you know that's such a huge piece you know uh wives or or spouses or parents or children they don't know who to contact they don't know what to say you know they don't they don't they just don't know how to navigate through this craziness you know which is what it is and uh, that's what we're here to help them do, you know, and, and not just athletes. You don't, yeah, exactly. you don't have to be an athlete or a former athlete to, to uh, pick our brains or to hear our story yeah. or to ask us for help. Just we're here work. for anybody. You know? Yep. And I think that's huge because I think most often the hardest thing to do is to ask for help. And then sometimes people don't know where to go for help. And your organization, Pro Athletes in Risk, recovery pro air you're a resource for these people tell me how people can reach reach your organization well the website which was just recently completed we're so proud of it it's called proathletesinrecovery.org go check it out look at all the different things and the and the opportunities for people to not only donate but also be involved with the organization and then of course you can find me on facebook at athlete just athletes in recovery and also, you know, our Facebook page, uh, Sober Center 60 on Instagram uh, and, and, and Twitter. Um, but we're trying to make it as easy as possible to, to reach out and to get resources, to get help 
And we're just so proud of what we've been able to accomplish so far with proathletesinrecovery.org uh, because it's been around for a while, but we've only recently uh, updated and completed the, the website. So we're, 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 we're excited about that. And Lydia has been such a crucial piece of that because she comes at it from a different perspective. You know, I can sit there and tell you what I've been through and my bottoms and, and, and what I wish I'd have done, but, you know, she comes at it from a different perspective. And, you know, one thing that we, we don't talk about enough is that through, because of addiction, you know, we were separated for seven years, seven years. And, you know, I, I give her credit for hanging in there, but, you know, she wanted to make sure that this time was for real. She was tired of the, I'm sorry, or, I won't do it again or give me another chance and all that. She wanted to make for sure that coming to West Palm Beach, Florida, doing everything that I was doing, that it was for real and that it was sustainable. I mean, she wasn't going to give up her job in Houston as a teacher and move out to West Palm Beach just because I had come and went to treatment, you know. So I give her all the credit for the boundaries that she laid down after treatment. And, um, you know, the, she moved out here. She finally uh, retired and moved out here what, three years, over three years, four years ago. So she gets all the credit for hanging in there. And, and um, you know, she kept working. She kept paying bills. She kept putting my son through college. I mean, she did all the hard work. Well, she's awesome. You're awesome, Lydia. I and you know, know, something that I think is super valuable about your organization is the fact that you are both involved because I feel that a lot of the listeners to this podcast are friends and family and loved ones of addicts. And as you said, Randy, addiction or you didn't say it this way, but addiction is almost harder on the people around the addict than it is on the addict in some right. ways. And so there may be uh, an addict who's in recovery or needs to get into recovery who will relate to you, but there may be a mother, wife, daughter, son of an addict who will relate better to Lydia and what she went through and have questions for her as to how did she deal with this or how did she deal with that? And I just think the fact that you're both working together is phenomenal. Well, and, and we, we say all the time when families get well, addicts get well, you know, so if we, can, if, if we can train the families, if we can show them what boundaries look like, if we can get them in that right place. And it's so hard for them because like Lydia said, you know, you, 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 you love somebody and you don't want to cut them off. You don't want to not be involved in their lives. But, but sometimes, you know, you take it too far and it just allows the addiction to keep going. So, yeah, we like to talk to families and just share our experience. And like Lydia said, tell them what not to do, you know? Right. Yeah. Is there a story of somebody that you've helped that you can share? You don't have to mention any names, just a story. Well, yeah. Uh, there's a lot of those, uh, but you know, there was a kid from New Jersey that I went up and did an intervention on. Uh, I just, um, you know, I, I, I did a successful intervention. I was bringing him back. 
the kid went in, went in the bathroom in the in the airport at Philadelphia, shot up in his neck, and uh, how how he got past uh, security and everything else with that rig, I'll never know. But you know, he was going to do it one more time, you know, before we got to treatment. And when he came out of that bathroom, you know, blood was just shooting everywhere. It was all over the floor. It was all over the uh, walkway that everybody was walking back and forth, you know, as they were going to their different gates. And I just happened to have another white T-shirt in my bag that I had with me because I had played golf the day before. So I got that. And all this is happening right at the gate. And um, I gave him that T-shirt. We got his old bloody T-shirt off. I got him calmed down. I got, I got the bleeding to stop. And uh, I got him on an airplane and got him down here. And, and do you know, Joni, he's been our most successful person. And, uh, you know, he's gone on to, uh, to, to run um, sober living facilities and, and, and so forth. But he's, he's somebody that I'm especially proud of. But, you know, we've got a ton of stories where because of, somebody asking for help and reaching out, you know, that families have been restored and relationships have been restored and, and children have, have, have come back to their parents. And uh, like Lydia did, you know, they, they see that they're doing the footwork and that they're putting the effort in to be better. And, to, and it's just, um, you know, those stories of resurrection. Mm-hmm. We have them, you know, contact us now and they're working, they're having families and, you know, it's just, it's a great thing to see, you know, know, that it works. Yep. I was just going to say it, I think it is so commendable for the both of you because you can go two ways when you come out of a situation like you had, you can either decide to do what you're doing and help others and take what you learned and use it to help others. Or you can just back off from it and say, I don't want to have anything to do with this area. Let's just go live our lives and just be the two of us. And I think it's huge that you two are doing what you're doing. Well, it, we, I, I can remember being two weeks into to the treatment. And, uh, you know, I can remember thinking that, you know, if this is what feeling sorry or being sober feels like, I don't have any part of it because I was miserable for, because for the first time in 20 plus years, I had to deal with all the, the huge wake of destruction that I left in Houston. I had to deal with that clean and sober and I just couldn't do it. You know, I, I, I didn't think I could do it. And I remember sitting in treatment at a picnic table exactly two weeks into the process at at uh, 8.45 in the morning, 15 minutes before the first group. And I remember I was sobbing uncontrollably because I just couldn't get a grip on myself because all this was going on, you know, and, and my, my, my chronic pain was coming back and, and my family was back in Houston and I'd left such a mess back there. And it was like at that very second, you know, that all this was going on. This was my big burning bush moment. You know, it's like, somebody came up behind me and draped a warm quilt around my shoulders. And, you know, I say quilt because I remember feeling weight and warmth on my shoulders. And, and it was at that very second that that obsession to throw pills down every day was lifted off of me. 
But it was also at that very second, I, I realized that I had to make all this mean something. You know, I had to make all the pain that I'd put people through and, and all the destruction I've done in my life, I had to make it mean something. And that's when I knew that not only could I do this, I could, I could go through the 90 days of treatment and get as much out of it as I could. I could deal with those underlying issues that made Randy Grimes do what he did, but I had to make it mean something. And I had to start something for all the other guys that were out there just like me, sick and suffering. And I had to, I had to get something going to where they would reach out and ask for help. So, um, yeah, God works in mysterious ways. Yes, he does. And very, very, very well done to you both. Once again, the website is proathletesinrecovery.org. Right. Now, is your book published? Well, we're still working on it. Okay. It's, okay. It's I want, I, sorry, I want you to be sure and let me know when you the know, book is published because I'm going to announce it on the podcast. You know I will. And you can also go to Randy Grimes speaks.com okay okay yeah listen thank you both so much for taking the time to talk to us i love you both i love what you're doing you are you're an inspiration both of you and about that but we we sure we sure are grateful that we've made friends with with you and steve and we're just uh you know what you guys are doing over there is is awesome you're getting the word out you're tearing down that stigma that keeps people from asking for help and, and you're providing resources for people. And, you know, people just don't know what's out there for. That's right. That's right. And people don't understand that any, you know, drug addiction knows no religious boundaries, no economic boundaries, no race boundaries. Anybody can be an addict and, you know, there is no stigma other than they need to get help. And especially through this uh, pandemic that we've been yep. through, you know, it's so many, so many underlying issues have, have surfaced as a result of that, whether it's loneliness, isolation, you know, uh, uh, depression, all the different things that are the root of addiction, you know, it's just, it's just made it so much worse. Yep. You are absolutely right. And the thing is, when this pandemic is over, there's still going to be drug addiction. And the point is to reach out, proathletesinrecovery.org. Thank you again, Lydia and Randy. I can't tell you how much I appreciate you guys being on the podcast. You're the best. You and Steve are the best. Thank, thank you. you. Love you. Hey, thank you all for listening to this week's episode of the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. I just think Lydia and Randy's story is very inspiring. You know, he, they came back from just a horrific tale of addiction to be in a position where they're helping lots of other people. And I think that's huge. So I hope you enjoyed it. And I will keep you posted about the book as soon as they let me know that it's published. Just as a last reminder, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Please go to YouTube and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Give us a thumbs up on our episodes and ring that bell so that you get notified every time we do a new episode. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back again next week. You have been listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return, sponsored by Narknon Ojai. 
For more information on Narcanon Ojai, call 866-231-5924 or visit www.narcanonojai.org. Narcanon is a non-12-step rehabilitation program based on the works of L. Ron Hubbard.